0: Welcome to the show. You are now part of Reveal, the revenue intelligence podcast powered by Gong. We're your hosts, Devin Reed.
1: And I'm Sheena Badani. Revenue intelligence is a new way of operating based on customer reality instead of opinions, making data-driven decisions based on facts instead of opinions or guesswork.
0: And it's made up of three success pillars, people success, deal success, and strategy success. You know, the things all revenue teams need and care about. Every week, we interview senior revenue professionals, and they share their stories and insights on how they leverage revenue intelligence to drive success and win their market.
1: You'll hear how modern go-to-market teams win as a team, close revenue with critical deal insight, and execute their strategic initiatives, plus all the challenges that come along with it. So Devin, you had a pretty big day yesterday.
0: I had a really big weekend. I just celebrated my 30th birthday.
1: That's a big one. Happy yes, birthday. Lord. Thank you. Cheer. Do we have some uh... <laughs> sound
0: effects? Uh, sound of... effects. <laughs> there you go. Yes, don't worry. I do not think I am old. I just tell people my youth is behind me uh, as I head into what, what I hope will be the best decade of my life. We'll see. It is.
1: I like to tell people who are, you know, turning 30 or in their 30s, not that I'm that much further no, along. you're hardly older than me. But I am that it's not all downhill once you get no. into your 30s.
0: I hope it's still uphill if that's the opposite. Uh, no, we got some good <laughs> things. we got some good things going. So I appreciate the birthday shout out.
1: Awesome. Um, and to continue your celebrations, I think we have one of our best episodes yet with Carl Eschenbach, the partner of Sequoia Capital. Um, I tend
0: to agree. No knock on any of our previous yeah. guests, but uh, Carl brought it.
1: He did. He did. He is super inspirational and just passionate. Like, yeah. I wish everybody listening could just be in the room with him, and I hope it comes through in the yeah. in the recording. He's just full of energy and, like, real passion for what he does.
0: Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. I was like, this guy is super passionate. And I think a lot of people kind of roll their eyes at that. Like, yeah, obviously, like someone who's like a partner or a chief business officer, or like something like, of course, they're passionate, but Carl's passion, like really exudes, like you can really feel it in the room. And, uh, you know, I-, I left feeling inspired, which is kind of like, I think it's a like, kind of rare to like meet someone and in 45 minutes, like, I'm like, really inspired. I want to go get to work. I want to go better myself. And uh, he definitely delivered.
1: And um, I think what's also unique about his passion is that he's in it for the people. Yeah. Which he talks about at the end. So definitely stick around through the entire podcast because that's where he really gets into like what is in, you know, why he's in it.
0: If you think that all investors are like Mr. Wonderful from Shark Tank, you're going to get thrown for a whirlwind. (laughs) He He is the complete opposite in the best way.
1: Very true. So with that, here's Carl. Today we have with us Carl Eschenbach, who's a partner at Sequoia Capital. Thanks for being with us here today.
2: It's an honor to be here, and I'm always excited every time I step in the Gong building. There's lots of energy in this place. It's it is, really fun.
1: It is. It is. It's uh, fun to be here every day. So we, we like to kick off our podcast with um, one of our tip standard questions is, what's something that's part of your morning routine that you think other sales folks should consider doing?
2: Wow. That's a that's actually a really easy question for me, so yeah. thank you for the, the <laughs> opening question here. Uh, so listen, I, I fundamentally believe you need to sweat, literally sweat every day. Mm-hmm. It gets your heart going, it gets your endorphins going, it gets everything about you going. So I have a routine uh, at a minimum six days a week, sometimes seven days a week, where I get up very early in the morning, 4.30-ish, and have a great workout to start my day. Uh, and it's as much for not just you know physical health, but mental health. And uh, sales is a tough job. Yeah. Uh, it's very stressful. And just getting uh, a good sweat going really gets your, your whole body, heart, mind, and soul fired up for the day.
1: Do you have a go-to workout, lifting um, weights, running, something else? All
2: the above. Yeah. I go from running to lifting weights to doing CrossFit. I do it all, uh, and I do it every day uh, just because very you know I've been doing it for a long time. And it's just part of the routine that I have established for myself, and I'm, I'm very regimented, probably to a fault. My wife will tell me, um, but uh, <laughs> but I, I just it's something I enjoy. It's my time,
0: uh, yeah. you know, no music, nothing, just you know, clear my head.
1: Okay. And
0: on Sequoia's site, you say I'm excited to learn more about the consumer world and mobile apps. So we're curious: what's one app on your phone that you could not live without?
2: Hmm, that's funny. When I said that comment, it was more of a. Uh, curiosity around learning the business side of applications how do you monetize apps everyone uses all these apps and Mm -hmm. to me I always felt like wow they're all free how do you monetize Mm -hmm. them but now you know being at Sequoia in the lucky position I have been the last four years I've got up front and close to all of these consumer apps how you sell to the consumer how consumers consume them and then figuring out a monetization strategy so that was a comment more around I was really interested to learn the business side of it sure uh at the same time, to answer your question probably more directly, you know, I'm not a big guy, I must admit, I'm not a big apps guy on my phone. I got a bunch of apps. Uh, people will laugh at me. The, the apps I do look at is uh, Instagram. Uh, <laughs> nice. I have a couple of followings, and I like to follow my children. And every now and again, my wife will post something, but I follow a lot of sports on there. Yeah. Uh, and then the other one is, uh, you know, my second favorite app is the USA Today app. Mm. the the newspaper yeah. because okay. it has a great sports section i can pull it up <laughs> and get caught up on all
0: sports from the prior day oh, that's yeah i
1: would i would have guessed espn or something yeah, else i was
0: <laughs> guessing yeah well, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll throw a slight curveball since you're into monetizing apps is there any app on your phone that you've paid for
2: uh, yes, there is actually, it's a sports app. ESPN yeah, <laughs> plus and the PGA tour, uh, dot com. So just very to cool. follow what's going on. So I do. Yeah. yeah. So I have figured out how to give back to the community there that I go. wanted to learn.
1: Nice, very good. <laughs> Um, so you spent many years at VMware, which we'll get into a little bit later in our conversation today. Um, I'd like to understand a little bit more about um, your decision to join Sequoia as a as an investor, um, mm-hmm. which was in the last like three years or so. What specifically prompted that decision, and how did you make the decision to get into investing?
2: Yeah. so four years ago, after being in an operating role and in the operating world for twenty nine years, I made a decision to do something different. I wasn't sure what that was going to be. Uh, to be honest, the decision was absolutely 100% driven by my me and my family. Like I had at the time, four years ago, I had three children uh, a year apart, all going into high school, mm-hmm. and I wanted to make sure that I was there for those high school years and help shepherd them through what, you know can be challenging times. Mm-hmm. We've mm-hmm. been very blessed that we haven't had any issues. The kids are great, mm-hmm. but I've got to be there a lot more than I did when I was on the operating side. So it was really primarily driven by a family decision to be home more, not be on the road, traveling the world like I was all those yeah. years at VMware. But I will tell you, it was a, a brutally hard decision. Uh, VMware gave me a lot. I'm so thankful and blessed for the experience I had, you know, over 14 years there. Yeah. Um, but it was, you know, one of those personal decisions that I look back, I reflect, and it was so the right thing to do. And, and I was lucky enough to have the Sequoia partnership say, come on in and join us and mm-hmm. be part of the team. I wasn't a typical, if you will, you know, partner that they would bring in. I didn't come from an investment banking background. I didn't start a company. Mm-hmm. I didn't build products. I really was more on the business operation side, so I was slightly different than they typically brought in. And it's been a tremendous experience uh, all the way around.
1: I mean, I think that w- that's what can really set apart an investor is somebody who has really, uh, you know, built and led companies through those successes and being part of that experience rather than just from the outside. So I think it's like a must be a, a differentiator for you. versus I hope other
2: um, I let my portfolio companies and my partners uh, say if I'm a differentiator, but I try, I definitely, listen, I am who I am and I yeah. did what I did. <laughs> so it's not like, but I, I hope I out. bring lots of value to the partnership and, uh, and to the companies and portfolios that I get to engage with uh, because of that operating experience. Cause I do enjoy operating uh, but Sequoia is a powerful place man it's an amazing partnership uh, with a lot of smart people uh, that have all types of different experiences whether they're CFOs or engineers or founders mm-hmm. uh, professional investors it's a, it's a really cool place to call home.
1: I, I would love to be like a fly on the wall in one of your like Monday morning partner meetings yeah. and just see what the conversations you must are know a like. Little <laughs> about the indi- we do
2: have those Monday morning partner <laughs> <Yeah>. meetings. <laughs>
1: Uh, what's something that surprised you or what's the one thing that surprised you the most um, kind of shifting into this new role?
2: I guess, you know, there was a couple things, if I can expand more than one. Yeah. Um, like, it's 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 really hard, right, to make decisions about investing in companies when they're so young and trying to identify what's going to make them really, you know, have an inflection and really drive a big outcome for everyone involved, um, so it's, it's probably harder than I expected. Um, and that could be just cause admittedly, so uh, while I came in after working almost 30 years, I came in as a novice in a new industry, which is hard to do it. You know, when you're almost 50, completely shifting gears mm-hmm. in your yeah, life. Sure. Um, so I, it was a little bit harder than I expected. Number one, number two, it's highly competitive. You know, mm-hmm. I knew it was a competitive field. Uh, But with just the influx of so much money and capital that we've seen coming into the market over the last few years, the amazing more than decade bull run we've experienced, it's just a very competitive, you know, world that we're living in, you know, but it's, but it keeps you on the leading and bleeding edge of technology all the time. It's, you know, you're always thinking about what's next. And so you're always part of the next gen of technology and companies.
1: Sure, sure. What do you think about your kind of sales and operating experience specifically um, help set you up best, um, for this position?
2: Yeah, I think we you know, kind of touched on it earlier. I think having, you know, uh, been in an operating role for as long as I was and having, you know, been part of an amazing company and see it scale from a couple hundred people to 20,000, just having that experience, like you can't learn that in a textbook. You can't right. get another degree right, yeah. on right. hyperscale growth, like, unless you're doing it, like, there's no better teacher than time, I always say, and mm-hmm. time doing that was something I think is just uh, allowed me to help companies and entrepreneurs and founders see something that might be coming around the corner before they ever anticipated mm-hmm. it only because I was there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, you know, that, uh that has been helpful for me uh to bring to the to the companies and then just sitting on boards um and having that operational experience and you know looking at metrics and thinking about how to scale and you know all the other things that come with just that experience i think you just can't find that in a textbook anywhere for sure uh,
1: and you're meeting with um, heads of sales, CROs, chief sales officers on a very regular basis and evaluating, hey, whether, is this company the right one that we should be betting on? Are there certain traits, characteristics, um, kind of credentials or experiences that you're looking for in those leaders that, hey, they're checking all the boxes like they are a solid sales leader?
2: Yeah, um, there's a number of different attributes I look for, right, uh, in companies, and specifically if the question's around sales leaders. So first of all, they always, I believe, have to have a significant amount of drive, right, and have perseverance because it's a hard job. Every mm-hmm. day you wake up, the odometer's back at zero, and you've got to go figure out how to put more numbers on the board. Yep. So it's, it's a really hard job. So they have to have drive. They have to have perseverance. They have to be humble. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have to be grounded and they have to be very authentic. Um, I think, you know, authentic leaders are, are ones that people will want to follow. Yeah, um, absolutely. and then, you know, I also on, you know, in sales and sales leaders, there's this kind of notion of there's art and there's science of selling. Mm-hmm. The art is the creative side of selling. How do you do deals? How do you structure them? How do you get the customers to buy maybe on your time frame versus theirs, how do you be real creative in the art side of it? Mm-hmm. But now, as we fast forward from when I grew up in sales, there's a science side of this, there's a data yeah. side of this of this. And I really, you know, make sure that the sales leaders have the creativity to build, lead, and scale organizations and be, you know, capable of doing deals, but also do they understand the deep dive on the metrics and the analysis associated specifically with running a sales organization. And there's a lot more tools. There's tools like Gong, for example. Mm-hmm. Like, so I think these days, the sales leader can't be just what I describe as the rainmaker sales leader who comes in and helps close a deal. Mm-hmm. They got to be operationally proficient and effective to understand the unit economics of sales to help people scale. Mm-hmm. So they're the two things that I look for uh, on, the, uh, on the sales leadership. And then listen... I also think they have to be inspirational, uh, not just motivational. I always talk about motivating sales leaders are ones who push people. Motivation a push technique. Mm-hmm. If you think about an inspiring person or someone who inspires, it's a pull technique. Yeah. They yeah. suck people in, want to be around them, don't want them in the organization to fail. So now how to inspire an organization to go out there in a very hard job every day and get it done. So are just some of the things I look for. And then, you know, past experience and success, right, right. is important to me too. Like you don't, you know, uh, in, in companies like even a gong, you know, we want to hire people in sales leadership roles that gong will grow into. Mm-hmm. We don't always want to be hiring people that just grow with gong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Expect success. So when we're looking for these great sales leaders, have they been there? Have they done that? And can the company grow into their capabilities? So hire ahead of the curve.
1: Sure. That's interesting. There's a lot of uh, important capabilities that you're looking for in an individual, but I think each one of those is so critical. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So Carl, you say you lean on your heart when it comes to your personal and professional life. What's a successful decision you've made based on your heart alone?
2: Yeah, well, there's been a lot of them. Like, this is kind of this, it sounds like uh, maybe you pulled that off uh, the website or, you know, something else that I had talked about mm-hmm. uh, in the past. And um, it really comes down to, and let me describe it to you because it's uh, it's kind of, uh, I'll say it up front, it's a little, it may sound morbid, but my, my belief is, and I learned this from my father, um, like, you know, your mind is a very powerful superhuman computer has mm-hmm. multiple components two sides to it and if you solely rely on your intellectual horsepower and data you at times can be very confused your, your mind sure. will confuse you mm-hmm. and oh by the way this is the the morbid part like you could literally be brain dead and we could keep you alive for a decade for long we know all stories where this yeah. has happened Sure. Or, yeah. Where with your heart, while your heart is not the biggest muscle in your body, um, it's it's the single most important, when your heart dies, you die. Mm -hmm. So when I come to very critical decisions in my personal or professional life, I get all the data, I think about the data, I use it to the best of my ability. But in the end, I ultimately... Lean on my heart to make the decision because it very rarely stares you wrong as long as you have the data to back it up. If you just rely on your intellectual curiosity, you'll confuse the hell out of Mm -hmm. yourself. How many times have both of you gone to bed at night and saying I'm going to do this? You wake up the next morning and you're like, No, I'm going to do this. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Or you go and talk to someone, and what does that someone do? They confuse you again. So, this is why the notion of leaning on your heart. And I can tell you, putting it into live, you know, real live examples, there were many times when there was an employee who, um, in my heart and in my gut, I knew wasn't going to make it.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: And we would try to save him or her, and we would work with them, and we'd expect them to change, and it just, you work. And in the end, people are wired how we're wired. We yeah. are who we are, especially the older we get. Yeah. And and my heart was telling me, you know what, just do the right thing for this person. It's not a fit. Help them go find something else. Treat them with respect. And you drag it out, and eventually you do it. And after you do it, everyone's relieved, including <laughs> <Yeah>. the person. <laughs> yeah. Right. So it's just an example where, you know, It's very obvious when it happens, like, I knew I shouldn't have done that, waited that long, right? So that's an example. And then listen I mean with you know having you know three high school children there's a lot of times I, I try to I outthink myself and I'm saying this is the right thing to do mm-hmm. and and then when I make the decision based on what my heart and my my gut is feeling it typically is the right one and mm-hmm. I don't overthink
1: it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah especially when so, it comes to So family. that's where
2: that's why, why I feel like leaning on that heart is just so important uh, because as I said it's not the largest uh, muscle in your body by a, a long shot, but mm-hmm. it's the most important because when sure. it dies, you die.
0: I can appreciate that because I think it's important to, as as data and science, especially in sales, is becoming more and more prominent uh, in the last couple of years to not overextend on that right and, and solely rely on the data, but to have a good balance of trusting your intuition and your experience mm-hmm. uh, along with some of the facts. Yeah, yeah, no, it's well said.
1: So uh, now touching on VMware, you grew the company from about 200 to 20,000 folks, correct me if the numbers are a little bit off. How did you maintain the culture during that period of time?
2: Yeah, so I I wouldn't say you, because I didn't do it alone. It took an amazing leadership team that I was part of to grow the company, Um, and it was quite an experience. But you know, the one thing from the very early days of when I joined and when Diane was there, we focused on culture. In my personal opinion is great people build great companies. You know, you don't always see great companies always, you know, having great people. But if you start with the people, uh, especially within a software business, that's what matters most. And I fundamentally have always believed that, you know, every company runs into challenges. And at some point, you know, the way you overcome the challenge, the obstacle or the hurdle that's in front of you uh, is... By having the right value system and having the right culture where people know when their backs are against the wall, that's when their real, real character is defined and displayed. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. you have to have the right people to do that. And people, you know, I find people, while they love the name on the door or the company they work for, what they really like is the culture and the people they work with. So focusing on that culture... And the value system is what attracts people and maintains people, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. If you just look at all surveys, why people leave, it's typically something to do with their boss or the culture uh, or the value system of the company. So I just think from day one, we discussed it. We talked about it. We gave out awards at every all-hands meeting around Mm -hmm. our culture, which in our value system, which was defined as epic. Um, Mm -hmm. And... Uh, you know, we cared as much for our people as we did for, you know, anyone else, our customers and partners, because you can't care for your customers and you can't care for your partners. You can't care for your shareholders unless you have the right
0: people who want to be part of that very powerful culture. Yeah,
1: very well
0: said. I imagine the culture probably shifted a bit or was founded on some key pillars to go from 200 to 20,000. What were some of like those core pillars that the culture was founded on to make it so successful.
2: Yeah, so we have even to this day, VMware has uh, something called their value systems called Epic Squared, right? You know, E is for execution, P is for passion, I is for integrity, C is then there's C squared for customers and community. Mm. Nice. All right, so you know, it's focused on executing. Uh, it's fo- focused on being passionate. Everything you do has got to be at the highest level of integrity. Um, and, you know, uh, you know, there's a, there's still this, the HR leader at at VMware is a very passionate woman and she helped us create a foundation to make sure that we're serving the community in which we work, live and play it, you know, and it's just, again, it's become part of the, the culture of the company. Um, and if you look, you know, they have great glass door ratings. The CEO gets good ratings to this day with three different CEOs over, you know, 20 year period. And it's always one of the top places to work. Mm -hmm, And I think mm -hmm. we just focused on culture so much. Um, and you know, hopefully that will continue forever because it's an amazing company because of that culture.
1: For sure. For sure. How did you see your own personal leadership style change over the years that you were there and as the company grew and evolved? Um,
2: You know, I'm going to talk a little bit out of both sides of my mouth if mm-hmm. I can, but I'm going to admit it up front so you can't say, wait, you contradicted yourself? So <laughs> I'm telling you I'm going to contradict <laughs> you. So first of all, you know, I, I tried to make sure that my leadership style did not change. Like, um, I think one of the challenges that I see in general as people's careers advance um, and they move up the corporate ladder and they become whatever the new title is, mm-hmm. They feel like they need to change. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they have a little bit of a, a side to them that you haven't seen in the past, and they sometimes feel like they're they're probably better than they actually are. When in fact, the reason they're getting promoted and they're moving up the corporate ranks of is because of who they are. Sure. Mm-hmm. So you know, so you don't necessarily need to change. Um, who you are as you move up the corporate ranks uh, because you're getting those promotions or you're getting those opportunities because of who you are. Mm -hmm. So that's number one. Contradict myself. I do think you evolve as a leader. You Mm -hmm. become more strategic. You become more thoughtful. Uh, You spend more time thinking about the future as opposed to the day-to-day, you know, uh, running the business. Sure. You think more about... Partnerships and ecosystems, and you know things of that nature as you move up the corporate ranks. Uh, so I think you know you learn to be a better leader by by becoming more strategic, becoming more thoughtful, but never losing that that strong desire to be there for your people. Like you should never lose that. And as I said earlier, talking about sales leaders, just I just fundamentally believe. People love to work for leaders who are humble mm-hmm. and who so are authentic. Authentic yep. and yeah. <clears throat> keep it real. Make fun of themselves. Like oh, yeah. Know, like look at me. My hair. Like I like put gel in my hair every day. I'm ready to go to racetrack. This is like <laughs> wind tunnel tested. Like like goof on it. Like have fun, man. Like keep life kind of you know pretty fun. Yeah. Um, and and I feel like employees welcome that. Uh, they don't want someone who, you know thinks they're more than they are and what I've learned in leadership and maybe and in life is you're probably never as good as you think you are and you're probably never as bad as you think you are Mm -hmm. you're probably somewhere in the middle
1: Mm -hmm.
2: and I think that's probably true of everybody Mm -hmm. some days you have good days you're feeling good other days you're like holy mackerel the world's coming to an end and you're like (laughs) okay so as a leader finding out a way to be really if you will consistent in your approach is important.
1: I don't think you contradicted yourself. I kind of heard it as, um, you know, you, you are yourself. That's not going to change. But your responsibilities and your day-to-day and yeah. what you're thinking about, that's going to evolve yeah, as, as you grow and your, and your organization yeah, grows. Yeah, and you
2: have to. Like, you have to. Dealing with conflict is like an everyday occurrence, right? Yeah. I always say I wanted to always keep my desk clean and my inbox clean because it's not if. It's when the next thing comes across yeah. the desk you have to
0: address. <laughs> Yep. It's, it's, we have the same thing. Uh, when all the days we record this podcast, I, I tell Sheena, we walk in, something will go wrong today. Just a matter of when, and so yeah. if you're ready for it, it's not. It doesn't really throw you off. It's like, okay, there's there's that small hiccup that we can expect today. Today we actually have not had one, so hopefully I didn't Nothing. just jinx ourselves. No, not but this <laughs> yes. I hope we don't either. It's going
2: well. You guys are very good at what you do. Oh, thank you, you guys have done a couple of these. Just a few. A few. We've been practicing for this interview with you. Oh, <laughs> well,
0: I'll goof it up now on. You. We'll have fun. That I promise. So, Carl, what recommendations do you have for companies that are rapidly scaling, like VMware, but also want to build a sustainable business financially? First of all, I think you have to keep
2: things simple. Right? Simplicity scales, complexity doesn't. Hmm. And by nature of companies growing and scaling quickly, complexity creeps into the operating model and the business model. There's more people. There's more layers. There's more decision makers. There's more legal contracts, there's more compliance, there's more controls. Uh, There's just a lot that comes into a rapidly scaling company on the operating side. And I think the ones who can navigate and keep it simple as long as they can are the ones who will find the most success. Um, And make sure you're focused on speed of execution. I always say, like in talks like this, I tell people, um, you know, since I like sports, uh, I use the analogy: there is no good defense for speed. Mm. If you're faster than me, you're faster than me. <laughs> yep. I can come up with a defensive strategy to how to catch, but you're faster than me, right? Yeah. 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 So speed of execution, not in haste, right? You got to make sure you're doing it, you know, uh, uh, appropriately, but speed is really important because there's no good defense for speed. Mm -hmm. And the way you can get faster as a company as you scale is through keeping things simple. Simplicity scales, complexity doesn't. And you can put that in our personal lives. When any of us, the three of us, run into issues or challenges, people always tell you to do one thing. Go back to what?
0: Basics. Basics. Why? Simple. Yeah. Yeah. Sure? For the sales leaders that are listening, are there a couple pitfalls that come to mind immediately of like, you know, I've, I've seen people not keeping it simple and getting a little too complex too quickly. Are there a couple pitfalls that listeners can look out for?
2: Yeah, a, a couple I'd say. Number one, I, I think in this world, in the SaaS world, Uh, at times people segment, they have to segment their go-to-market model. They have all of these different tiers. Like sometimes you can do it too fast Mm -hmm. until you really have identified true product market fit and repeatability in the go-to-market motion. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily do that too fast, number one. Number two, I would make sure if I'm a sales leader, as I hire people, I focus on enablement and training. I think enablement and training is ultimately what allows you to scale and to maintain, you know, rep productivity and make sure you have a lot of people achieving their goal. Mm -hmm. One of the failures I see is people, they get a new capital, they raise a new round, um, and from there, what they immediately do, they start to hire sales reps, and all of a sudden, they go from 70% or 80% of their sales reps making their number, and it drops to 40%, and what do we do? We keep hiring because we can as opposed to focusing on the first-order issue is making sure we have training and enablement in place, working with product marketing, product management, Mm -hmm. and making sure that we maintain as many people being successful because it creates the right culture, right? Right. Success breeds success. So that Mm -hmm. would be something I'd say to watch out for my pitfall.
0: Those are great tips.
1: So when you're on the board of a company or evaluating a potential investment, what data is the most important that you look to to judge both short-term and long-term success?
2: So it differs. If it's an early-stage company, there's not a lot of data. So then it's really about the team, the entrepreneur, the founder, how self-aware they are, understanding their strengths and weaknesses. Do they have the ability to go out and recruit people to surround themselves, right, uh, to build a company? Uh, Do they have a track record of success? So sometimes these early-stage companies... Do not have a lot of data, sure. so yeah. it's, that's yeah. why I said earlier. Like you asked me, it's really hard. Uh, in later stage companies, looking at growth, you look at sales efficiencies. Mm-hmm. Uh, you look at how much you know you're spending in sales and marketing, right, to generate a dollar back of, of revenue or bookings. Um, so there are key things you look at. Uh, you look at customer stickiness, or another way to think about it is churn. You want to mm-hmm. see low churn. It's you know, there's a lot of companies go out and sell a one-time sale, but it's not repeatable. And then you have customer return. Now you got to fill that leaky bucket back up right. before you even grow the company again. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. there's things like that, that I think we need to, uh, you know, keep our eye on. Um, the sales efficiency, I talked about, uh, how much marketing and sales we're spending, right. To get a dollar back. Um, other metrics is just the burn rate, right? I think, you know, while it's okay to burn money, uh, you know, to build a business, at some point, you want to be able to look at a, a operating plan and see that someone does have the ability to trend towards profitability. sure, And they know what levers it is they need to pull to go in that direction. I think that's really important as well, because you know, uh, you know, growth is probably still the number one most important thing we look for when we're making an investment. Um, and we're okay with people burning money to do that, but you also want to see a path towards profitability in some time frame mm-hmm. that makes sense for everyone
1: else.
0: Sure. How, how important is previous success, uh, and like the CEO or the senior leadership, like our, are you okay with self-aware first-timers, or are you kind of a little bit more prone for you know CEOs who've done this two or three times?
2: I mean, as you would expect, I think you know if someone's done it before, they've been there, done that, and they've had a couple big you know successes. I mean, that's always a, a strong validation. Uh, at the same time, listen, everyone has you know got their start at some point, no matter what job it is, yeah. and if you know you're a first-time founder. Um, the beauty of Sequoia is the community of founders that we have, like that we can help our other portfolio companies and first time entrepreneurs, because we have such a rich community. Uh, I think we can help them if they have the intellectual horsepower, they have, you know, the, the self-awareness, uh, they may have domain expertise. They may be a deep engineer in a, you know, a google or facebook and they have the raw horsepower and they're going to go and crack a new market or disrupt a market with a great idea Uh, we don't steer away from that because they prove themselves just in a different dimension Uh, and then sequoia like we take an active ownership position with our companies Uh, we'll help them build a company uh, as much as they'll allow us to but Mm -hmm. we're not going to over rotate and say we're going to come in and run it for you but we're going to help guide you. And be there
0: for both the good times and the bad. Sure. For the companies that you're um, working with right now, is there like a leading indicator, or maybe kind of like a warning sign that comes up, and you go, "Hey, this is this is my time to get a little bit more in the game, a little bit more involved."
2: Um, yeah, I think. I mean, you can see that through the numbers and the financials of the company. Like, if all of the sudden you see your burn rate accelerating, right? Mm-hmm. But you're not seeing the top line. So, I mean, there's obvious signals and warning signs, I think, that board members will, you know, pick up along the way. Um, so I do think that is, uh, you know, we, we see that. And at that time, we, we come in and we make suggestions or we help them figure out uh, how to make course correction to get back on track. Or the other thing we do at times, because we have this amazing network and community around the Sequoia, Yeah partnership, will introduce them to other people who have experienced or been in this situation too. Mm-hmm, so sure. we don't, you know, listen, we don't have all the answers, uh, but we're probably one email or one text or one phone call away from getting uh, someone to assist uh, another founder within the ecosystem that Sequoia
0: has built. It's pretty powerful. That's mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, can, I can imagine. Uh, Slight shift of gears. When you're working with sales teams, what is a metric that most teams don't focus on enough, but they should?
2: Oh, there's so many metrics, but I think one that to me is, you know, and I've said it a couple times in my life, the most important metric is your forecasting accuracy. Mm-hmm. I think the forecast is so hypercritical. Um, it's what sets the operating plan for the company. Mm-hmm. It's what determines <clears throat> your OPEX spend that you can, you know, uh, have in a company, how many people you can hire, how much investment you can make. Um, so getting that forecast, uh, right in the accuracy of it is important, you know, calling a number and then beating it while a lot of people think, Hey, it's exciting. Uh, you probably did a pretty big disservice to the company because we didn't invest enough, yeah. right? Or if we would have known this was going to be our, our results, we could have invested more. And on the flip side, if you call a number and you keep consistently missing it, and you're building the operating plan based on that number, you're going to have this big bow wave of expense. It's, it's coming. So even right. when the booking slows down, those expenses don't slow down. Sure. Mm-hmm. So, so I spend a lot of time talking about the importance of forecasting accuracy because I think it's so hypercritical. Um, I think it's just so critical for so many things in the company, not just sales, And the forecast, by the way, is not just owned by sales. It's a company-wide sport, right? Sales is an enterprise sport, I call it, Mm -hmm. meaning every function in the company has a responsibility to help sales be successful and vice versa.
1: Very true. What excites you most about the future of sales, and how do you see sales evolving over the next five-plus years?
2: Yeah, that's a great question, actually. I'm really excited uh, about some of the, the new sales tech, uh, like Gong, and I'm not saying that just because I'm sitting here on your podcast, but I, <laughs> but I grew up in a world where, you know, we lived on spreadsheets, yeah. then we had Salesforce, and all of those are just systems of records, right? Uh, then we had things like their systems of engagement, and now we're into systems of intelligence with revenue intelligence that we have, like with Gong. Like, I'm just really excited about the evolution of sales tech. Mm -hmm. And what probably even gets me more excited that these tools are now available, at one time when these tools were coming out, they were being perceived as being for the sales leadership themselves and Mm -hmm. for sales managers. Mm -hmm. Now we're seeing this scenario where sales reps and individual contributors themselves are saying, Wow, this is a tool for me. Yeah. yeah. Mr. Manager, you want to look over my shoulder? You want to listen into my call? You want to look at what I'm doing? Go ahead. But you know what? This is a powerful tool for me. Yeah. So I'm getting excited yeah. that the next generation of sales people, sales leaders, are identifying with the value of these new sales tools for themselves, not just for managers. Mm-hmm. Sure. Mm-hmm. That's what gets me excited about where sales is going. At the same time, Never lose the creative side of selling. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Most successful salespeople are creative, right? They figure out how to get things done, they, how they articulate, how they put proposals together, how they get customers to buy on their time frame versus theirs, like our time frame as opposed to theirs. So there's a whole bunch of things on the creative side, but I'm most excited about the, the next generation of sales tech that's coming out and how reps actually want to use it.
1: I love it. Uh, for those who are listening, you can't see Carl, but you can see the excitement in his body and he's kind of <laughs> leaping out of his seat a little bit. so uh. <laughs> yeah, I mean,
2: I'm just I'm, I'm with gong, right? That was when you know we looked at one of the earlier rounds we were like, hmm, is the salespeople, I should say, are the salespeople gonna use this tool? or are they going to feel like you know my sales manager's listening now all of a sudden, The salespeople. This is my tool. You want to listen? Yeah. Giddy up! Come on in. Uh, uh, No problem. I'm learning. I'm I'm getting intelligence from these conversations. I'm going back and reviewing these calls before my next one. So, it's just it's been a and that's only been the last few years to be honest that we've seen this shift.
1: What are you most excited for in 2020? Could be um, personally or professionally or both.
2: Personally, because I always start there because that's more important to me than professionally. Mm -hmm. if If I'm honest. Uh, I'm really excited and sad and nervous (laughs) that my twin daughters will be off to college this year. Um, so that'll be a big change for, for, for my wife, Anna and I, uh, and then I'm excited for my son to move into his senior year of high school right behind them. So I'm really excited. Uh, we have a lot of change going on in the house and we'll be empty nesters soon and, uh, I'm looking forward to spending even more time with with my amazing wife, so um, as that happens. on the the professional side, uh, you know, just I have you know few companies in in the Sequoia portfolio that the partnership we're all excited about, potentially going into the public markets mm-hmm. that are doing really well. Um, disrupting, you know, some very big, you know, uh, categories and in, in market segments out there. So I'm excited to see them to come to fruition and get them into public markets and, and see how, uh, you know, the market receives them and, um, And then just continued learning. You know, the venture business uh, is one where you are forced to learn every day. Mm -hmm. You meet so many different companies. It stretches your mind, your imagination. And no matter how young or how old you are in this venture business, it challenges you because you have to move from one company talking about a health tech, you know, healthcare, you know, company into talking about a gong, a sales tech sales enablement tool Mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. talking about a big enterprise platform. It's just the diversity just stretches your brain. And I, uh, I love being a lifelong learner. So just continuing to learn, uh, the, the sport and the profession of investing, uh, from my amazing partners is something that excites me. I learn a lot from my partners. That's for sure. They've been doing a lot of them a lot longer than I Mm -hmm. I may be a lot older than a lot of them, but I have no problem (laughs) learning from them. It doesn't bother me at all because they're really smart people and they're special.
1: Definitely. Sounds like a big year. Yeah, it's a lot going on, on,
2: personally and professionally.
0: That's great. The last question that we always ask our guests, how would you describe sales in one word? One word. Exuberating. Oh got to write yes. that down yeah. probably not spelling it correctly we'll see if i can get <laughs> 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 Would you now that i've asked for one word would you mind elaborating on why you picked that word It's
2: just the the energy you get the excitement you get from working hard on something and then seeing it co- close and come to fruition and then seeing your customers transform their business or what they do by mm. using something that you sold them it's not just the sale itself it's the whole transformation that people go through by the use of the technology and the business impact um it's just exciting and then the other thing for me why i say exuberating and there is n- there's nothing more exciting to me than watching young people in their sales careers just have life-changing moments mm-hmm. um, and seeing that for a long time now, whether, you know, whether it's, wow, they get a promotion or, wow, they've landed their first big deal or they have a financial outcome that changes their life. Mm-hmm. Man, that just as a, a, a leader and a partner of all of these, you know, next generation of salespeople, is just exuberating to me. It's just exciting and strive to give them as much as they can because someone was fortunate enough to do it for me at one point. So I need to do that for many others.
1: I love it.
0: That's awesome. Carl, thank you for your humility, your insights, your inspiration. We really yeah. appreciate you stopping by. Oh, Thank you for having me, and let's go gong. Thanks.
2: <laughs> thank you.
0: Hey, guys. This week's microaction is something to think about. Given the change in our economy, businesses, and personal lives over the past couple weeks, we can all use some advice on how to react and manage the shifting landscape. A lot of us are figuring out how to work from home, handling kids home from school, and how to keep business going as we form our new normal. Two things Carl said felt especially applicable right now, which is keep it simple and speed of execution. It's easy to panic and get caught up in the chaos of uncertainty. Don't get me wrong, what we're going through is not easy and it's new to all of us. But focusing on what we can control and keeping it simple will help us bring clarity. Take a moment to mentally reprioritize what matters most. Next, we need to adapt. Sales and marketing messaging that previously aligned with buyers is now most likely completely outdated. That's where speed of execution comes into play. Ask yourself and your teams, what is our audience focused on now and how does our offering address it? be empathetic. Continuing business as usual will come across as tone deaf, losing the trust of your audience. Companies who can adapt quickly and reflect that they're tuned into the needs of their buyers will have great success during these challenging times. Be well and stay safe. Did you like today's episode? Subscribe now so next week's episode will be waiting for you on Monday.
1: And if you really like the podcast, please leave a review. Five-star reviews go a long way to help get the word out there.
0: And if you're not ready to give a five, check out another episode and see if we've won you over by then.
1: And if you have any feedback or you want us to interview one of your favorite revenue leaders, just email us at reveal@gong.io. At